Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self worth Okay, hi everybody, what's up? Welcome to self Worst Podcast. I'm Brad Pearson, host of self Worst Podcast. The podcast hosted by Brad Pearson. Hi, how's it going? How's your week? I uh, hope you're doing okay. I'm in. I've 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 done the thing. As I'm recording this, you should know that I have, uh, I have done the the ill-advised afternoon evening nap, where it's dark on both sides, and then you wake up and it's 7 p.m. and you're like, what happened? Um, and so that's kind of the headspace I'm in. I wanted to do all this stuff this evening. I wanted to post the episode. I wanted to clean the apartment. I wanted to do a workout. And uh, it's just, you know, you you fuck up one thing. You take an accidental nap after work. And then it just sort of cascades, domino effects your whole whole rest of your day. So that's what I'm doing. Look, it happens. Sometimes you get kind of off. Off track a little bit. Sometimes things just kind of... But that's okay. You just course correct. And you just sort of get up and at him tomorrow and uh, try and have a better day. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's, it seems seems like today is kind of a wash. But I am here making a, a podcast. I'm making art. I'm doing stuff. I'm doing something with my life. So that's good. I don't know, man. You ever just, you ever just feel like... Uh, where you're in that mood where you just kind of want to stare into the middle distance and you don't really know like there's not really even like a lot of thoughts going on in your head you just kind of want to do the Kubrick stare just under your eyebrows and just sort of look forward like a madman I kind of feel like that right now so I hope that that tone isn't coming across and and, and really dampening the spirits of this uh, episode because it's a good episode we're talking to Maria Guido. She's been she's been on the show before. She's back. If you're a real one, if you know, if you're if you're a an OG of this podcast, you know she was on a couple of years ago. Here she is again. If you care. Anyway, she's had some changes in her life, new job, new all this stuff, and some updates. And so I wanted to have her back on the show. And uh, here we are. So I had her on the show. And that happened. It's a thing that happened. I don't know. I got nothing. I feel I feel so flat today. I don't know what's happening. Anyway, uh, don't worry about me. I'm going to shake it off. I am just kind of in like a uh, headspace. But I do have to record this episode and, and, and put it out. And sometimes you got to do shit when you're not really in an optimal uh, space or time to do it. Gotta put this episode out this week. It's all it's, it's Thursday. It's coming up, so it's time. Anyway, follow me at Radical Pearson Instagram, Twitter. Follow the show at Selfworst on Instagram. Uh, rate and review iTunes, uh, Spotify, whatever apps you got. Screenshot, put it in your stories. Spread the word. Uh, Tell all, tell all your uh, uh, annoying, depressed friends. Tell all your friends who can't get their shit together. Um, hey, have I got the show for you? 
I I know a show of this this loser who who lives in Brooklyn, um, and he doesn't have any money and and he has a podcast and he thinks he's smart, and you should listen to it because it's funny to hear him talk. Um, and then they'll listen and everybody will have a good time. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, did I, did, did I say patreon.com slash self-worst? Go to patreon.com slash self-worst. Why not? Go check it out. There's always, there's some stuff on there. You as little as a dollar a month. You can forget about paying a dollar a month. That doesn't even register. I'll tell you what, I had this happen to me. I saw my bank statement, which oof, that's a whole can of worms. I don't really want to go into the overall gestalt of my finances in my bank account, I will just say that I saw a $43 charge on there and I was like, what the fuck is this? From Apple? So I investigated it and I was like, I don't remember paying for anything on this and this, what the fuck? And I went into the settings on my phone and I found, you know, I looked through my subscriptions. Fucking face app renewed a subscription. It's like $39 before tax and blah, blah, blah. Forgot that I was paying for FaceApp. All this to say, you know, why not just put another anonymous charge on your on your credit card? Won't really affect you that much, unless you accidentally overdraft your account. Unless you're down to one dollar, and my stupid podcast is what puts you over puts you in the red. That would be really funny if that happens to you. If you overdraft your account because you're subscribed to my Patreon for a dollar, please write the show. Please write in and, and, and tell me about it. I'll have you on because you're my kind of people. That's that's fucking perfect. I love that. What's the lowest your bank account's ever actually been without going to zero? You ever had like $2 in there? Four bucks, six bucks? That's like a game. Get as close to zero as you know. It's like Price is Right kind of. I don't know. Anyway, I'm gonna just. Uh, I don't need to bring any more of this weird energy to the episode because it's a good ass episode. So let's just go to the show. Let's go to. Let's go talk to Maria Guido. Let's uh, let's see what Maria Guido's doing. All right. I had a night last night. Yeah, tell me about it. I went to uh, Monster Jam. Oh, sick! So, yeah, my so my friend Todd. Like every year, I've known this kid for like over twenty years. Like I met him like in the rave scene in Pittsburgh, and uh, every year he buys like a ton of tickets to Monster Jam. We all sit in the uh, like one section. We always do like a theme. So this year's theme was wigs in space. I don't know how we came up with that. So I dressed up like an alien and I had a wig on and um, I ate shrooms because I am not I don't drink anymore really. Right. So oh I did I had I ended up buying a magic wand like that lights up at the end. Oh, there's no shortage of those. They got all the kinds of those like the, the guys selling the little bullshit light up oh, things. Oh, dude, I was I got so excited because I get like I look at it as like inner child therapy. Yeah. I get like a little kid. I'm like. Oh my god, dude! So it lights up. It does like three different lights. I'm like, I just, I'm 40 years old, excited about 
shit like that. Was this your first Monster Jam? <laughs> no, I went last year too. Okay. He's been doing it like for over a decade now. Like he just decided like I'm going to buy a bunch of Monster Jam tickets and we're going to do a theme every year so we can like get on the big screen and we got on the big screen a couple times. Yeah, it feels like uh, a betrayal of my roots, you know, as as somebody who's from the Midwest, like descended from, you know, generations of, of, of white trash uh, truck people and stuff like I, I feel like the fact that I've never been to one is like it's like missing from from my from my Nebraskan identity. I need to go to oh, one dude, soon, but it's just go. like it, it wasn't quite how I was raised like my immediate family uh we i think my mom put a lot of stock into us being like a lot more like refined npr erudite people and and (laughs) so like pro wrestling and and monster truck rallies and and tractor poles and rodeos and shit like that was kind of just like no that's not that's like the image we're trying to avoid as as like you know nebraskan hicks we don't want people to think that we're that but like fuck that that's fun like it's it's Oh, it's so fun. And like, I, uh, yeah, it's just like fun. And I haven't been out like in forever. Um, so it just was like a good time. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and I just like doing like things like that because I become like a, a little kid again. Like I just get really excited. You know what I mean? Uh, so, and it's, it's just, it's weird. Like, it's different. Like, I would do things like that when I was, like, younger. Like, in my, like, 20s and, like, 30s and shit. But it was, like, I would drink. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, it was, like, but, like, now, I mean, <laughs> I'm eating shrooms. But, like, it's, like, I can, I, I really enjoy. You know what I mean? Like, I've been, and maybe it's just because I'm where I'm at in life right now as well. Like, I'm trying to be very present and enjoy like these moments of yeah of life because shit's fucked i mean obviously it's yeah we got i mean obviously this is a leftist podcast so i mean we got two fucking idiots running for president you know i'm trying to find like little moments in life Mm -hmm. to really like enjoy you know so yeah man i don't know if i could i don't know if i could go on mushrooms though that seems intense well, I, I need to do like relaxing like, shit. I'd like, you know, like as much as I would like to go to a monster truck rally or, or like a pro wrestling event or something like that. I feel like that's something that I would have to like ease into before I bring like psychedelics into it. So, yeah. And I'm an, I'm an idiot. I mean, not an idiot, but like I am a maniac and I like the sensory overload. Mm. Like it's really weird. Like the, because I, uh, I can always, like, I went, the last time I did, like, a really big trip is I was at Rockaway Beach, and I just, that's been, a great every place time for I, was that? That's a great place for it, yeah, that's. Yeah, 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 I was at Rockaway chill. Beach. Yeah, but there's times where, like, I've gone, like, like, I went to Coney Island, like, on trips. <laughs> it's just, but again, I also am, like, old, I was an old school raver, you know what I mean? I partied, yeah. but I also look at it as, like, I mean, yeah, I'm getting, you know, I'm obviously, like, changing my, you know, mind, like, using substance like everybody does. But I also look at it, like, I feel so much clearer, Mm -hmm. like, the day after, and especially, like, a month after. And I'm very big on, like, psychedelic therapy. I think that it's, 
beneficial for adults, um, you know, especially adults with like complex trauma. So, yeah. Have you done any of that in like an official capacity? Well, I've looked into it. So, because uh, I think the la- we're recording, right? Yes. I, I keep asking like five <laughs> times. Uh, but um, I, so the last time I was on, like, I had just had, like, I was still working and stuff like that. But the last like two, three years has been kind of like crazy with regard to my career. Yeah. So I ended up getting my licensures, like my um, licensed social worker. Like, you have to get two in PA. So I got my LSW and then I got my LCSW. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I'm credentialed with like all private insurance. Anyways, I looked into uh, psychedelic assisted therapy to see like how much it would be to become certified like as a practitioner. Because in PA, like ketamine is legal, right? Like it's not well, it's not legal, but medically that's what it you know what I mean? It's yeah. legal. Um, and I just want to make sure I turned off my alarm. Sorry. But uh, can, you can still hear me, right? Yes. Okay. Sorry. You're going to have to cut, like. Uh, but anyways, uh, it's still legal. Or, like, ketamine's legal in Pennsylvania medically. And we're just kind of waiting for, like, MDMA and psilocybin. But the practitioner, like, certification is ten grand. Whoa. Yeah, so, like, I don't have 10 grand right now to, like, throw to do, like, a, a certified practitioner. It's a nine-month program. It's hybrid, so, like, you can do it online, but you have to go out to Oregon uh, twice, and you have to do your own, um, you know, like, psychedelic, like, you have, like own, your own therapy. So what I'm interested in is, like, the first two part, like, the first part and the last part where you set somebody up for the trip, right? Like you talk about like what they want to experience, all the stuff. And then there's, you give them like psychedelics, right? Like, and you're giving them a big amount, but there's like people like babysitters basically that are watching you the whole time, all of that. And then afterwards you meet with the therapist and you process the trip and you process like what happens and things like that. Uh, you know what I mean? These things that pop up because yeah. what I've noticed is when I do, when I do psychedelics, I mean, I, I feel great, right? Like for like a month and I've microdosed it, I've macrodosed it, mm-hmm. all of it. Um, but it, it, there's something that I always describe it like this. If trauma comes in and like, make sure like put, puts knots in your brain, psilocybin comes in and almost like massages the knots out like massages the knots so you can untie them does that make sense sure and then there's something with like neurotransmitters that like connect between like the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex and the brain which makes you think clear because your limbic system is all emotion right and your prefrontal cortex is where you can kind of like like kind of like hash out those emotions right like and and figure out how do you want to deal with them but a lot of times we are stuck so we get stuck in that limbic system which is why we're like fight flight freeze right Right. and we react on emotion right sorry you can tell i tripped last night going (laughs) off so wait so you (laughs) you want to uh become a practitioner eventually like ideally that's that's something that you would want to add to your your oeuvre I, I mean, I would like to because, 
And when I tell people that, they're kind of like, well, wait a second. Don't you specialize in children? Yes. But I also work with adults with complex trauma. Right. Um, there's no research about psilocybin in children. I'm not interested in that at all. I don't think that it's... Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a good idea. Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't think that it's. I think that you have to be at least like it, like for that therapy, right? For that therapy, I think that you should be your brain should be fully developed. So I think you should if you're gonna really do that, you gotta like do like 27, 28, and you also have to. People think that like because there's a big thing, right? Like microdosing moms that they're people because people are microdosing. Just to get through life. You know what I mean? Uh, but if you're going to do it and you want to do it in a therapeutic way, like you have to understand, like, there's times where it's going to take you to places that you're going to feel like you got to feel shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and you're going to feel it. Like, afterwards, like, there's going to be times where there's emotions that come up that you got to look at, you got to process. And I, so I tell people, like, if you're really going to do that type of therapy, you have to be ready for what comes with it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I mean, like not... physically, your brain has to be so developed, which doesn't like your brain doesn't fully gel until you're what, 26, 27. And then yeah, also like... just emotionally, rationally, I think you have to be ready for uh, what might come up because it it's not, you know it's not all fun and games, you know, like it, it can be, it can be kind of uh, gnarly in there. What the, the, well, the kinds right. of things that drugs can unlock. Right. I mean, so I think it's, it's way down the line. Like I, right now I, uh, I'm, I'm, EM, I'm fully EMDR trained right now mm -hmm. as a therapist. So I've been doing, it's, it's like stands for eye movement, desensitization reprocessing and it's basically a way to it's a mixture of like talk therapy and somatic therapy mm -hmm. like we're helping you with like bilateral move like bilateral movements to process like traumatic memories and it's really fucking cool um i i can't fully explain it right now because again <laughs> uh you know it's it's one of those days but it's, I just describe it sometimes. I'm like, it's, it's evidence-based witchcraft. Yeah. It's, do it, it doesn't seem like it should work, but it does based on everything. It, like I've never done it, but I've, it's based on what I've read and, and heard from people anecdotally who have done it. It's like, yeah, it actually works. It seems crazy. You just move your eyes when you think a certain thing and that's it, but it works. But you can do it, like, because the thing is, is, like, you're trying to train the body to be able to deal with the emotion, right? Because when you are in fight, flight, or freeze, you can feel it physically. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I tell, I'm like, dude, you can feel this physically. Like, when you're in fight or flight, your chest, your stomach, it's all tightening up because there's all this shit happening in your body, right? Like, so... With EMDR, it helps train the body through, like, that moment. And you can do it with, like, I do so much. I don't even do the eye movements a lot. Sometimes with my kids I do. But any bilateral movement, anything that's going to move your brain side to side. So, like, I have, like, tones, like, where you wear headphones and it'll just go beep, 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 right. beep. And then, and it gets annoying because 
when you're doing the reprocessing, like I'm, you know, you're doing the bilateral, whether it's like you're moving both sides of your body, you're getting the tones, you're getting like the pulsers. Cause I'm stopping each time and going, what are you noticing? What are you noticing? And people get like, because people don't understand and you have to teach them as the clinician, you're trying to teach people to be in touch with their body. And that's hard because people are not in touch with their bodies. Right. But the thing is, is that your body will tell you, it will tell you when something's up, right? Like trauma will stay, it stays in your body. Um, I was just talking to the chick that I do like this chick does my, it's like my one, uh, self-care thing. I get massages every month. And we were talking about the concept of like sympathy pains, right? Mm -hmm. So my mom got sick, got cancer. Like she started getting sick around this time of the year, five years ago. And I'm getting pain where she started to get pain at. Yeah. Like, and it's again, it's the body keeps the score. So EMDR like helps with that. Yeah. So I mean, you'll see I, it. People people get stressed out and and then they have diarrhea or then they have sciatica or then they have whatever. It, like it it they have a migraine. They, you know, it 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 manifests itself physically and it it is something that has to be expressed physically, which is why I mean, exercise um, you know, I've been on the a big tear about this lately. My last guest was a physical trainer. Exercise is a huge part of the overall arsenal of mental health uh, because the two things are intrinsically connected and <clears throat> there is a somatic potential energy that is in your body that needs to be let out that all the talk therapy in the world isn't going to fully excise from you. It has to physically come out of you, you know, and they've done all kinds of like there have been trial and error kind of things. I don't know. There was that like weird thing in the seventies with like primal scream therapy that turned out to be not so good and stuff like that. But like there, there have been like trial and error, but like overall the, the, the consensus is you got to get it out somehow. You got to run, you got to punch a bag, you got to lift a weight, you got to do a thing. But I also think too, I want to piggyback off that because I know there's like this whole big discussion on Twitter about people are fighting like about, well, you need to be able to exercise, but I think that it's bigger than that. It's not that you, because people that have disabilities, sure. right? It's literally as easy as moving both sides, like just walking, mm -hmm. just, you know what I mean? And I think that people kind of get that mixed up because when people say exercise, they automatically think lift weights, do things yeah. like that. That's, I mean, so I, I always want to have the caveat of like exercise within your means. If, you know, if yeah. I follow somebody, I forget his name. I follow somebody, he's a trainer in the UK and he deals exclusively with like people with mobility issues, people who have had a stroke, people who are recovering from chemo, stuff like that, who like really like physically can barely do anything. Like it is yeah. a huge achievement for them to like lift their hand up and, and just like touch the wall, like things like that. And like getting them to even do that, like that's huge. So like, you know, oh, wherever yeah. you're at with it, if all you can do is left foot, right foot, then left foot, right foot. Cause I got to do it with the kids all the time. The way that I, the new thing that I've been doing, right. Is uh, I have this like magic wand thing. It's like those things that when we were kids, it like had glitter in it. Oh yeah. I fucking love those. Yeah. Oh, dude, they're awesome. So I bought one, right? 
So I have the kids because it's really hard to get little ones to um, to do EMDR. And they, a lot of times, especially kids with developmental trauma, they can't control their bodies. That's why they can't sit still. That's why, like, their body, you have to understand, cortisol and uh, adrenaline just flowing through their bodies, right? Like, it. Unfortunately, we're seeing that with the kids in Gaza, right? Like, kids are literally dying from heart attacks because it's so much. But the kid, like, kids, I'll trick them into doing EMDR. Like, I'll put the headphones on them and I would be like, okay, follow my magic wand, doot, doot, doot. And then I give it to them and I'm like, okay, put a spell on me. And they, but they have to do it matching the tones. So they're getting the EMDR matching the tones. Like, some (laughs) chat. But but that's a, in I don't know. Can I mention the article I wrote? Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about that. Okay, I can even so, link that in the show notes if you want. Yeah, no, because this does kind of play a role in what we're talking about. And then I keep I feel like I'm just going off. You ask that's okay. Uh, yeah, tell 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 the listener about you know what this article is you wrote and 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 go into it. Okay, so I have been really like studying ever since I've been in the private practice. I've been looking at like developmental trauma and mixing it with like juvenile justice so i'm uh right now we're in like this really weird situation in um allegheny county in pittsburgh where we haven't had a a juvenile detention center for like two years right major issues with our old one major like it again it goes back to the same shit right like looking at punishment looking at authoritative type of like this stance on how to deal with juvenile delinquency so again i worked with those kids for so long and i have kids now that are young so i'm looking at this thing called like the cradle to prison pipeline because it starts out young right because it's all about safety so this article i wrote is about um how to have like a trauma-informed justice juvenile justice system and what people are missing and the big thing people are missing is the concept of safety. And when I say safety, I'm not talking about just physical safety. I'm talking about emotional safety. Because you got to think, childhood trauma, right? Your brain is still developing. And childhood trauma is, can it damages the brain, right? Like you don't, it, it, it delays how you go through developmental stages. And it's as simple as, I describe it this way. Imagine a baby in a bassinet, right? Well, if usually you would imagine that baby starts crying, right? An adult's going to go over and pick that baby up and look like, okay, what does it, does it, is it wet? Is it, does it hungry? Does it just need soothe? Well, imagine the baby in a bassinet starts crying and nobody pays attention to it. No one isn't consistent or isn't consistent about it or there's food insecurities that baby is going to learn my cries are not being answered right if the cries are answered that baby's like oh i feel safe somebody is going to answer my cries somebody is going to answer me emotionally which you know the kid starts feeling safe the kids i can start walking because if i fall on my ass you know my parents gonna pick me up right they can go through these developmental stages but if you have a kid that doesn't hit that that impacts them forever because they're 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 they go into survival mode, right? Like they don't feel secure. 
So they go into survival mode. So this is why you see kids that have grown up in poverty, that kids that have grown up with parents with substance issues, parents that have been incarcerated, right? Like all of these issues that the pro the problem is fucking capitalism, right? But all of these issues, these kids go into survival mode. So it's fight, flight, freeze for them. Fight, flight, freeze. They react on survival mode. So in this article, I explain, if you can see a kid like that, look at them as teenagers. That is why they do things like tantrums, right? Or they get like violent or they carry, you know, they carry guns. It's all safety. It's all survival. Survival always trumps legality, right? Why would you trust an adult if an adult never answered your cries? You know right. what I mean? Like, so this article is really about like, what does the juvenile justice system need to do? We need to be the secure base for the kid. Like we're responsible because we've put these kids in that situation. We have. At the end of the day, everybody in the system, including me, including somebody who considers themselves an abolitionist, all of that, I still play a role in the system. We have the responsibility now to take care of these kids. And the only way that we're going to stop them from going to this, you know, to the adult system is if we pay attention to them and if we give them this sense of safety. So if a kid is flipping the fuck out in, in juvenile detention, don't fucking put them, you know what I mean? Like, don't throw them in solitary. Figure out what does that kid need? What does that kid need? Because people just will focus on the bad shit they've done. Right. Well, they carried a gun. They robbed them. They do this. Well, guess what? In two weeks, they might throw themselves on the floor and cry like a three year old. Yeah, because that's where they're at. That's where their body is. It's not. It's like people think it's a deliberate choice with these kids and it's not it's not cut and dry like that. Yeah. So how do you fix that damage that is that is done? We have to look at developmental trauma in the in the ACEs. So uh, adverse childhood experiences, it is not just sexual abuse. It is not just physical abuse. It is the community. It is how the, how you grow up. It is what you see. It is if you don't have an attach a strong attachment to a parent, right? Um, that can damage you. Now you can be repaired. This the big thing is this can all be repaired because I do it right. Yeah. I work with these kids. I've seen them be able to repair this, but you have to be trauma informed. You and trauma responsive. You can say, "Oh yeah, we talk about trauma da 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 da." But are you actually attuning to the child? Are you attuning to what they need? Because if they're screaming, you don't need to automatically you don't match that. You don't get loud with them. You go over, "Dude, you good? What's up?" What's up? You calm them. You have to attune with them. Like, mm -hmm. and people don't do that. They automatically go on this. You can't do this. You can't do that. You need to follow this. No, kids are not like that. You have to do things. You know, I, I tell people and they, people look at me like I'm crazy, right? Play. Play is one of the biggest things that you can do to redirect a situation. And you can do that with teenagers, right? So I've done it all the time. I used to, like, when I worked in residential, right, I'd walk in. And residential is, like, out-of-home placement for anybody that doesn't know. Because sometimes I talk in these 
yeah you know weird acronym whatever but um so i would walk in right and the girls like depending on what day it was they might have been like you know just dysregulated and they would just say shit right like Miss Maria, I'm going to AWOL today. Miss Maria, I'm going to throw myself out the window. And I would just go in and instead of being like, oh, my God, you can't do that. Da, 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 I would just kind of look at them and be like, dude, don't do it on my shift. And then they would laugh. Right? right. Like they would just laugh. It would throw them off and we would laugh. And then afterwards, I would obviously check in and be like, dude, are you all right? For real? Like what's going on? Right. But if you automatically react, like you have to calm them. Because they're not in their, they're not in this engagement area, like in their body. They're fight, flight, freeze. It's got to be hard because, like, not everybody can do that. Like what you say in the article about sitting with that kid who is screaming and crying and rolling around on the floor. Like, not everybody can just be chill in that moment because. Well, we're all adults walking around with dysregulated nervous systems all- as well. So absolutely, yeah. So it's it's how how do you maintain um, kind of that that uh, I don't know is it is it a mental armor? Is it a toughness? Does it just does it bounce off? Does it go right through when like there's someone screaming and throwing a chair and like like shut up you raggedy bitch get away from me like blah 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 like you know whatever <laughs> they're gonna say like. How do you like kind of just keep yourself cool and calm? I mean, I think that it's like a mixture of things because like I always say to everybody, like, look, I'm not going to tell you that I've always stayed calm with them. Right. right? Like, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to say that I did because I did it. There were times where I'd be like, dude, guys, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not doing this shit. Go to your rooms. Right. right. I'd get frustrated. But as I've done this work over and over and over again i started to recognize dude this ain't about you this is not about you right and this is not just mental health this is trauma and then i started to realize what role i play right who i am you're a white woman you're a cis white woman in an area where like nobody trusts you and you have to know that and i am very honest about with that with my families especially when i worked in the community be like, look, I know you don't want to, don't trust me. And it's all good. Like, let me show you. Let me give you that chance, right? Because th- I know I'm part of the system. But then it's also knowing your own triggers. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be able to, and I work with a lot of parents on this. You have to be able to know what your own trauma is and your own response to it. And then... I think understanding the developmental trauma piece, like literally look, critically looking at what the brain actually looks like when these kids go through this thing, uh, go through this stuff, and also looking at like the developmental stages. So understanding like, yes, I get it. That kid is 15 years old and he brought a gun to school. However, watch how he reacts when something happens. Where is he at? Is he fight, flight, freeze? Kids that, uh, there, I have kids, right? And people do this all the time. They, they'll be like, this kid, he just doesn't respond. They just don't respond. I bet you they're a sociopath. Really? Well, I bet you they're in freeze. I bet you they're in freeze. Mm-hmm. Because that happens, that, that, it's a trauma <clears throat> response, right? So understanding that, like, so I think those three mixtures of things, right? Like understanding your role in the system, and understanding, like, it, it there. I saw this quote. It was like, 
it is a privilege to bear witness to somebody else's story. And that hit me. Because it is. It's a privilege. Like, I work in private practice now. Like, you know, I'm up in the big, I guess, I'm up in the big leagues now or whatever. It's totally different from community mental health. But I'm, I feel like I'm doing a lot of more work. Uh, like, a lot more clinical, like, a lot more clinical work than I did. Because I don't have to deal with the systems and shit. But it's a privilege to bear witness to somebody's story. And my whole thing is making my clients feel safe. Like, making them feel safe enough to be like, I'm not going to judge you. Whatever your trauma was, whatever your trauma response is, I am non-judgmental. Because guess what? We've all done this shit, right? Like, we've all ha- we all have a trauma response. And we've all done things that if we look back on it, it brings us shame and guilt. So I'm not going to look at anybody in a way that is it's judgmental. Like, for them to share their story with me, that's an honor, right? Like, because they don't have to say that shit. They do not have to tell me that shit. What's your uh, go-to trauma response? Are you a fight guy? Are you a freeze guy? Oh, I'm a fight. You're, fight. You're, that Yeah, that makes sense. Fight. <laughs> yep. Fight, flight. Fight, yeah. flight. Like, I... And I, it's hilarious because I see my family do the same thing. Like my cousins, we all have the same reaction. We all put our shoulders up. We all tense up and we just will start talking fast. What happened? What happened? What happened? And it's very, uh, like my triggers are loss. Like uh, uh, loss is one of my worst triggers because I've lost so like so many people in my life. right? Right. That's my huge trauma. Like, that is my, like, loss and abandonment hits me. So anything that, you know, will, there's things that trigger me. I've learned, like, a lot, like, ways to calm it down, right? And there's, like, only, like, certain things that will get me in that response now. Like, I'm able to kind of pull myself out of it more. Um, But that's my go-to. Fight, flight, boom. Do you have um, experience like on the patient ends of of EMDR or or of uh, trauma therapy, psychedelic therapy, any of that stuff? Have you have you done any of that yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, you have to do your own kind of EMDR when you get trained for it. Like they make you do sessions. So I've done a few sessions. I know my target the theme it's all abandonment um and i am like looking to find like my own emdr therapist so i can do like the rest of like the like quote unquote what we call the target um because i didn't get rid of it like I, i didn't fully process it when i got my training um but the trauma therapy and the psychedelic therapy so i have a therapist i've been seeing him for like It'll be five years. Um, And I only see him, like, once a month now. But for a while, like, after my mom died, like, I just went... It it was hard. Because I I did a lot of avoidance. I pulled away. And even during COVID, right? Like, it was... COVID happened, and that was, like, the first... Like, my mom's, like, anniversary didn't hit yet. Right? Like, the first anniversary. And that was actually when I was... I started doing worst week yet because it was, it was a dissociation. I was, it was a way for me to escape that pain and shit. But like, 
um, I was like taking like I was microdosing on my own and I told my therapist that and he would kind of help me process these things that would come up. Um, so I, I don't recommend people doing it themselves. Right. But I did a lot of like my own work, Mm -hmm. like, and I had to look at shit. I had to look at shit that was fucking painful. Like, because you have to, the thing is, is that you have this trauma, right? But you do have to look at the shit that you've done because of that trauma response that has impacted other people. And that's rough. I mean, you because you get a lot of shame and guilt out of that, right? It's sh- it's that feelings of shame and guilt, but you have to give yourself grace and forgive yourself to get past that. You know what I mean? Like, and and try to do better. Mm. Like, I always tell people, like, mental health is a journey. It's not a race. There's no finish line. Like, sorry, you don't get fixed. Yeah. <laughs> this is the human experience. It sucks a lot. It sucks sometimes, right? But then there's good times. So. Yeah. Have you, um, with any of your, uh, do you call them clients or patients? I call them clients. Clients. Like the little ones I call, like the kids I'll call my kiddos or my teens. Uh, But like I, it's it's crazy because I do with private practice, it's pretty cool because I can work, I work with a bunch of different people, like adults and then like, you know, little kids and then families. Like it's, it's awesome. So I get to do all of them, yeah, but so, I call them clients. So with your clients or with your kiddos, um, walk us through some of your, you know, your, your greatest hits or, or some of, you know, your most satisfying work. Did any of them, uh, recognize you as like a, Hey, you helped me out through a thing. Or was it more like they may, might never know that I helped them through that, but that's okay. I'll be silent about that. And I'm just going to watch them go on on their functional life. Um, I've had a few like hits over the years, which keep, which keeps me in it. Right. Um, like we were in me and my one, uh, work partner when I did was doing family-based mental health. We were in like our company's like annual report. Because we helped this one um, young woman get all of her kids back. Like, when we came in, like, she was going through, like, a termination of parental rights. And we ended up helping her get all of her kids back. Which was fucking cool. Uh, And that's happened a couple times with me. Um, Now, it's the attachment stuff. Like, so I've been working with, um, like, families that are either, like, like in, like, pre-adoption or post-adoption. And I'm working with the parents a lot on, like, developmental trauma, understanding that and understanding, like, how to approach the child, how to work with them. And and understand, like, look, just because you adopt a kid doesn't mean it's going to love you. Mm. Like, it, you're not safe. Like, you, like, people have to stop with that savior shit because, like, adoption is trauma. Like, it can be a beautiful thing, right? But it's trauma at the end of the day still. Like, there's trauma behind it. But anyways, I um I have a few families that they're just doing such amazing work with the attachment-focused stuff. And the kids are – you could tell that the kids feel so much more emotionally safe. Um, because, like, they'll do – kids will do things like, developmental trauma-wise that, like, people are just like, what the fuck? Like, so my, my one kid, dude, she will not put her jacket on. And the school was like, she won't put her jacket on. We've been fighting with her for 15 minutes. Da, 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 da. Well, one of the um, 
one of the symptoms of developmental trauma is like the inability almost to like feel like senses. Like sometimes you don't feel them. Sometimes you feel them really like you have sensory issues, right? It's just part of how the body develops, right? And what happens. So I explained to the, the school, I was like, yeah, I was like, don't one, don't get a power struggle with them. Right. I was like, two, you don't know how they, you don't understand how they grew up. And if they grew up in, an, in neglect, <laughs> they don't know, like, they'll wear, like, they don't understand, like, weather. So take her, if she doesn't put her coat on, right? Okay, just take it outside. She'll get cold in five minutes and she'll come over. Like, right. so little things like that or like um, families that, like, a lot of kids that uh, have early neglect will hoard food. And they'll hoard the weirdest shit, too. Some of the kids, will they'll, they'll take, like, shit out the freezer, all of that. Kids will, like, hoard stuff under their bed. I've known kids that have, like, punched holes in their walls and hid food in there. And parents will, it'll drive parents insane. They're like, what the fuck, da 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 da, da. And I've seen parents go the restrictive route because the kid keeps stealing food. So I have to explain to the parent, okay, there is something they haven't, they weren't fed. Like that tells you that they weren't fed. If they're stealing like frozen food to eat, they were not fed as children. Yeah. And they went and got it, got food out of the freezer. They're hiding it because they're afraid that somebody's going to take that food because they don't like it's food insecurity and they grew up that way. That's survival. So I just try to explain to the parents that, like, hey, this is what's happening, right? Here's what we do. So we'll try different things. Like uh, like I tell parents, like, put out a whole bowl of fruit and tell them they can have that fruit whenever they want. Whenever they want, it's always going to be full. Or you give them, if you're cool with them, like eating in their room, give them a box of something and it's theirs, right? Like, because you have and you you have to do that because they have to feel safe. If you restrict them more, they're just gonna keep fucking doing it. Yeah, right. Like they're just gonna keep doing it. Um, I have a, I have a real little one who, this has happened to me a couple times. With they'll they'll steal right. One of them stole like a credit card. Like and I and I had to explain to the parents like, look, it's the behaviors they've seen in the past. Right. Like they they've seen those behaviors in the past. They're going to redo things like that. So you have to just put boundaries around it. Look at their, you know, look in their book bag, do book bag checks. Right. But don't you have to really try and, and I get it. And listen, I'm not a parent. Right. And I know kids can drive you crazy. So I'm not a parent. However, you got to think where these kids are. And you can't approach them with this punishment type thing because it's not going to work. Right. And I tell, I also tell parents too, there's a lot of kids, like you could take everything from them. Like literally I'm taking your screen time for three weeks. I don't give a shit. It's all about engagement. They want the engagement with the parent. So they want special time with the parent. So if you're paying attention to them like that, they're going to keep fucking doing it. Right. Right. So I try to explain stuff like that. And 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 I've in but I know we were talking about wins, but I when I see that, mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Like cuz I love attachment, like it's my whole I love it. It's my jam. I think it applies to everything. Um and so when I see that, I get so excited. 
And then I got my wins with my adults, right? Like my adults with complex trauma who can't remember shit about their life. Can't remember shit because the brain has said, you know what? We can't handle that. So we're going to shut it down. Right. And getting them to understand, dude, you're not like this isn't you're not quote unquote crazy. You're not quote unquote like permanently damaged. This is what your brain did to survive. So let's help it. Right. And I try to really normal, like, cause it's, I mean, it, trauma makes you forget, right? It, it makes you forget shit cause your brain will shut down. It will shut, it does it to protect you. Your brain will shut down to protect you. It's a trauma response. So a lot of people are like, they'll come in and they think they're crazy because they're like, well, maybe, maybe I made this up. Da, 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 da. And I say to people, it doesn't matter what happened. Something happened to make you feel unsafe. We're going with that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So I, those are wins when I can get like, so I do have a lot of wins. Uh, I have a lot of wins. So yeah. definitely a lot of loss. Like there's a lot of losses. Like I cried last week or this past week because the court fucking pissed me off. So, but again, the, the wins will make up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dealing with people with, with trauma and, you know, things like trauma, things like food insecurity are especially weird in the United States because, like, probably not a whole lot of people are, like, actually starving to death in the United States, but that doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to, like, literally, like, keel over dead as a skeleton to to experience trauma from food insecurity, not knowing when you're going to eat next. Like, that is still fucked up especially if you're a child and you don't have to have like you know you don't have to like go through what they're like going through in gaza right now like that's some like serious capital t trauma kind of shit but luckily most americans don't have to experience that kind of thing but that doesn't mean that our lives are devoid of trauma either right and i think what's happening in gaza right now is and and with when it comes to like developmental trauma stuff, this is something that I mean I think it's something none of us ever seen. I mean we're seeing a genocide, right? Like right before yeah. our eyes. But what's what bothers me the most is the kids, um, because they are the ones that will survive this, right? Are going mm -hmm. to need so much help when it comes to. The, it, because this is yeah. people in developmental trauma well, like, and they're not going to fucking get it right and there's people you know I, I, I'd like to think of myself at this point like somebody in the developmental trauma movement right because it's really mm -hmm. what I'm interested in and I want to you know I specialize in it and I want to help change at least some system to understand what that what it is right but we have never seen anything of this nature before i mean kids that are having heart attacks yeah because of a because the the cortisol and the adrenaline that's flowing through their bodies it is unfucking heard of and it's crazy to be somebody to study that right to look at how trauma affects the body and figuring that out so i can help people understand here's what's happening and then seeing it and got like seeing what's happening in Gaza, it, it like I and I've talked to a few friends like this and I say I'm like fuck I don't want this to sound like any white type of white savior shit because that's not what I I'm not I, I don't want to be that 
but there's something that says to me when it's time to rebuild, there's something that's saying to me, I have to go over. Yeah. Like I, I don't. And, and again, if anybody, you know, that listens to this is like, you sound like a fucking white savior. You could totally call me out on it. Right. I, but there's something inside of me that's like, if this is what you're doing here and the, and you feel so like powerless when it comes to like what's happening in Palestine, like there's something inside of me that's like, they're going to need some type of help with that. And if I have the opportunity to do it, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, if they survive, you know? Yeah. That's the thing is like, if there still is a, a place to go to after that, if there still are people there, like that's who knows what's going to happen. And, you know, like, I, I think that that's an okay, uh, impulse to have cause it is easy to feel so helpless and it is easy to, um, I mean, I mean, it's, it, it's easy to feel helpless. And at the same time, we have to acknowledge that this is going to be like an all hands on deck kind of situation helping these people, you know, and, and we have to kind of maybe put aside our like cringy embarrassment of being white Westerners who, you know, grew up with internet and stuff and, and, and we're coming over there like, Oh, how can we help? And it's like, we're talking to a kid with like, you know, their legs blown off and stuff. And it's just like, well, yeah, okay, we don't have the same experience, but like, if your heart is in the right place where you want to help people, then I, I, I think that that's a good thing overall. And like, I just don't know, like, <clears throat> you know, every time I open my fucking phone, I, I see another kid like in an emergency room, like shaking with their eyes fully open. And like, it just, it fucking breaks my heart. And I don't know how anybody is like, okay with this. I don't know how anybody like just, I mean, you have to, I guess, in some ways to like compartmentalize and continue going to work and surviving and stuff. But like, I don't know how, how we're all not... mentally dealing with this shit. Right. And that's that's like a, another trauma in itself. Right now. I mean, again, nothing compared to what like that what they're going through is fucking unheard of. Um, I mean, obviously, we had the hall, you know, the Holocaust and sure. you know, the 1930s with, with World War Two. But like that wasn't, wasn't being live streamed. Yeah. Right. It wasn't being live streamed. And and the thing is, is like we're uh, there's going to be two demented men that are that are one demands one one person with dementia is going to be running this country. Yeah. Whoever it is. Right. I don't give a fuck at this point. And I don't think anybody should feel uh, required to vote for Joe Biden. And I know I've said this about in 2016, 2020, but at this point, there is absolutely no way that I can support the Democratic Party. I'll vote locally. I'll always vote locally for my people, right? Yeah. I will leave the top blank. I left I, I left the Democratic Party. I, I um, joined the Working <laughs> Families Party. I'm out. Like, I can't do it anymore. I can't be a part of it. And, like, that might screw things up in like democratic primaries i know but like if they get on the working families ballot line then i'll fucking vote for them but like if not then too bad like i i just i i am tired of feeling beholden to voting a certain way um when i've seen just kind of no real material results from any of that and you know, they dangled row over our heads for the longest yeah. time. And like, now that's gone. And I don't think they're doing anything about it. And like, yeah, Trump would well, be won't. worse, but like, would like, 
at this point, like I'm a really progressive guy. I roll in really like lefty progressive circles. And um, I, I, most everybody I know, like they voted, like they voted with the mainstream Democrats in, in 2016 and in 2020, you know, like I, I held my nose and, and, and voted for Biden in 2020. But like now, like I know people who are like straight up saying like, they're not going to fucking vote for the guy anymore in 2024. And I can't blame them. Like at this point, like once you are supporting what is happening there, once you are actively aiding a military that is doing this to people, I don't care what else you do. I don't care if you're slightly less unhinged on a domestic level. Sorry. Like what you're doing over there is a red line. End of story. Right. And and I think that with with the Democrats too, like I think they're now going to try and pull votes from Republicans, right? But it, which is what they've been doing. Yeah. But the thing is, they're not going to flip Trump supporters. They're not. Nope. They're not. The the thing with Trump, right, is as crazy as he is now, hilarious, hilarious. He's one of the most hilarious dictators ever. I mean, I, you can't deny it. However, like as crazy as he is, his base is ridiculous. And that's why I always had said the only base that could tr- have truly trumped him was Sanders base. Right. His base will is not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. They hate the Democrats. And here's the thing. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? A lot of them were Obama supporters. A lot of them both voted for Obama twice. My uncle, who's the Trump supporter, voted for Obama twice and went to Trump. Now, again, we all think that's insane, right? Being, you know, leftist, communist, socialist, whatever. But they felt that their voice was being heard. They feel that their voice is being heard with Trump. It might not be like build the wall and shit like that. It may be the economy. Yeah. The fact that he fucking gave us money through COVID. And people think that's stupid, too. But here's the thing. If you don't have money and a fucking president sends you 2K when you're struggling, you're going to remember that. You're going to remember that. We're, we won't, right? It's not going to make a fucking difference with us. We would never vote for Trump. Yeah. But people that are not politically like involved as much as we are, you, can you fucking blame them? You can't blame them. But the Democrats do. You're stupid. You're like, they are the, like, it's almost, it it is truly, I don't think they want to win. Yeah. I don't know. Like the last thing I'll say on this is like to anybody who wants to try and guilt somebody into voting. um, I think a much better use of your time is like, if you really believe that Biden is the only stopgap for, uh, the deterioration of democracy, um, go canvas for him. Go phone yeah, back. Good, like, and, and, like, seriously, like, it, it, show me the record of you um, going in and 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 canvassing. Uh, show me the, the the phone log and tell me how many hours that you actually like pounded the pavement and and talked to voters uh, about voting for Biden. And I'll vote for him. 
But until yeah, then, yeah. like, I, I don't think you're actually doing that. So, like, it's fine. Like, I don't think you're actually going to do that. Anyway, that's uh, self worth uh, uh, po- politics corner. Um, let's get back to the uh, the uh, clinical therapy uh, thing uh, just real quick. I want to know, like, what the difference is um, with uh, private practice uh, versus what you were doing uh, before. Like, what, what have you noticed and, and how is it better? How is it worse? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, my mental health is a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost feel guilty because of how much I enjoy private practice. Because so, like community mental health, it it's it always needs to be there, right? But the problem with community mental health is like it is very difficult work, and you don't get paid much. And after twelve years, right, I was just exhausted, and I'd gotten my licensure. And I, you know, had the opportunity, a a colleague of mine had started a private practice and she gave me the opportunity and I love uh, the freedom of it. I don't, I work like half of what I used to work uh, in community mental health Um, and the rest of the time I'm reading um, or I'm like doing like, I've been doing like trainings and speaking like at uh, Point Park University in Pittsburgh. so the the mental health piece, like I can, I I'm not like, no, I hate work, right? Like I just work in general, but like I don't, I like going to work. Like I like going to my office. I'm chill. It's chill. Um, it's I the I feel guilty because like it's you know I did Medicaid for so long in Medicare and I'm in the process of trying to get credentialed with them, but I. Now it's like I take private insurance, yeah. which is you you get money, and people will also pay out of pocket if you have a specialty, and I have a specialty, um, so it's been again I have this like guilt right because right. I think it's this leftist and right I mean doesn't doesn't this just prove that the private sector is better than that uh, private insurance is I'm just right like you're just like fuck but I but the what I like about it is. It's it gives me the freedom to really do what I want to do, right? Like to really look and do almost like I have time, right? I can do I don't need to follow like these like ridiculous bureaucratic fucking rules all the time. I don't need I can really uh, really do like what I want to do. You know, I I tell people, you know, five to ten hours a week I play. I play because that is what some of the therapy I do. Right. And in the thing, you know, I'll play for like 45 minutes and then 10 minutes, you'll get like a chunk of like, ah, oh, that's what I wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. So that piece is super fun. Uh, but I also can it, like the freedom of it is just, I think so much better. Right. And the pay, um, obviously like it's, I'm fine. I feel like I'm getting paid what I'm worth. Right. Uh, finally, at 40, which is cool. Um, but I, mental health wise, it's done wonders. I think when I was in community mental health, and again, m- working in community mental health is, I think it should be mandatory. Like, I don't think you should be able to go to private practice unless you paid your dues mm-hmm. in community mental health, right? Like, it's a rough, it's rough. But, like, that's where you're going to learn shit. And you need to do that because there always needs to be community mental health. Um, but my men- mental health was I was living in fight or flight 
when I was in community mental health. Because, again, you have to be. You have to be on, you know, you have to be hyper aware. You have to be hyper vigilant because you need to know what's going on, especially if you're doing crisis work, right? For for like a couple months after I left community mental health, if I heard a certain ringtone, it threw me right back into like when I would be on call for crisis. Because our our on call at the agency I worked at was 24-7-365, and we would switch like every 15 weeks as to who was on call. And that meant 64 clients, all high crisis that you were in for the week after hours. Oh, yeah, it was a it was a trip. But, you know, so I think it's given me more of this opportunity to really, really, really like hone in on my craft and study and really now I'm starting to teach people, hey, here's what I've learned over the years. This is what I'm seeing work. Right. And, and just to really, yeah, like, so I'm getting more into like uh, conferences, like I'm presenting in June at the statewide adoption network conference. Uh, I sent in some proposals for some other conferences. Um, I'm speaking at Point Park for their like psychology student group in two weeks. So I'm doing like a lot of stuff like that. So that's why I really like. So, yeah, I have a lot of. uh to wrap it up. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, no, I, I'm good. I, but I always, I always know I go off on uh tangents on like everything, yeah. but yeah, I mean, no, I like private practice. I, it's a lot. I feel like I'm in a different kind of era well, now. Yeah. And it further illustrates kind of what we were talking about last time on the last episode uh, you were on that. It's just money. It's just money and resources are what fixes, fixes these problems. And yeah. uh, the reason these community crisis centers suck so bad is because they don't have any money and it's one caseworker for 65 people stretched way too thin without the amount of like resources that they need. And then there's all this bureaucracy in place because they have to be so stingy with their resources because they don't have any. Then you see in a private practice, there's the freedom of movements and everything just it just works so much better. Because there's money in it, and money solves right. all of our fucking problems. So right, which sucks, you know. But I am gonna do uh, when we open up our the new detention center. I would like to go up there and do EMDR with the boys. Mm-hmm. Like I want to, I want to see what it does. I think okay, if they're detained, and I can get them, I'm in that. We're in that place, and they're detained. We in physically, they're quote unquote safe. Let me come in and help them be emotionally safe, right? Let me help get them through those bad parts. Now, I know they ain't going to pay me shit, but I don't care because it's about the boys. And I'll feel like getting together with the boys and doing some EMDR. Yeah. And we'll listen to music and shit. Yeah. Getting together with the boys and doing some EMDR. Yeah. That sounds like a great Friday night. (laughs) Maria Guido, thank you so much for being on the show again. Thanks for coming back, and it's 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 great to see that you've uh, you know you've made some strides, and you're finally like getting your due, and 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 you're 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 making some money, and you're doing some shit that you really want to be doing, like because like and it seems like for like more than a decade you were like really fucking uh, just just pushing the Sisyphean boulder up the hill. Oh yeah, dude, it was like, but I'm I'm glad I did it. You know, I feel like it got me to where I need to be, mm-hmm. and. 
you know, I can be, now I can truly be the radical social worker that I was born to be. Let's get out of here. Uh, let's do anything you want to plug and, uh, you know, we'll wrap it up. Nothing. I mean, you know, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you know, it does, does not represent like my work uh, <laughs> shit, but sometimes I talk about, I talk a lot about juvenile justice and Palestine and just sometimes I post, uh, what's it called? But, um, but no, just check out that article, uh, uh, Pittsburgh Institute for Nonprofit Journalism is awesome. Yeah. Because we don't fuck with the Post Gazette or the Trib. We're we're with our you know strikers like we ain't crossing that picket line. So uh yeah check out that article. Um and yeah, uh yeah I don't know and listen to, and listen to this podcast. Plug this by let's let's plug this podcast. You're already listening. To yeah, it. I love that. <laughs> Plugging the podcast on the podcast. Hell yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, repetition in advertising. It's what it's what you need. You need yeah. to remind people every once in a while, you're listening to Self-Force Podcast. Please listen to Self-Force Podcast. Please listen to it. Thanks once again to Maria Guido for being on the show. And, uh, you know, check out her Twitter and stuff. And, 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 and just, even if you don't, just just take her words as an inspiration. Just try and just this week, your homework is like, how can I be more like this lady? She's cool and smart and helps people out. How can I do that? You don't got to go change your whole career and be a social worker and none of that. Just to see what you can do for people around you. you you'll feel better and they'll feel better. And maybe the world will slowly start to suck less. Oh. Worth a try. Anyway, that's all. Uh, you know, I gave you the Patreon spiel. You know all of that already. I'm gonna go. I, I'm I'm gonna go clean the apartment or something. Do something else with my. I, I need to like. I need to do like a reset. I need to take a bath. I need to like do do something to kind of blah hard reset my brain. Maybe I need to do some EMDR. I need to like control all delete my brain. And just sort of. Doom. That's the Apple sound when it resets. And uh, I don't know. That's kind of what it feels like I'm saying right now. As I'm saying it. Anyway. Hope you're having a good week. Hope you get out there and uh, do some stuff. Even if you even if you took an accidental nap, even if you totally uh, fell on your face and, and and screwed up your day and the day's a wash and you get, you got to start over again tomorrow. Start over again tomorrow. Fuck it. All right, I'm gonna get out of here. Uh, music is by Shea Bartel. Uh, that's all I've got for you and uh, goodbye I'm Brad Pearson I love you I die for you I kiss you on the lips <laughs>